sparkling gems of truth. As a soldier for Christ, the Lord has called me to be one of his watchmen on the walls of Zion to keep God's remnant informed of end-time events which are daily developing around us. For the last few years, with God's help, I have faithfully presented the warning signs of probation's end and how we must prepare to be ready to meet the final test. We must be fully awakened to see our need of divine help. But there is something vastly more important than our knowing all about these closing events and making sure we have followed God's counsel to get out of the cities, to become free of debt, and aware of Satan's plans to deceive. I'm speaking about our need of absolute assurance that we have individually been born again. What a tragedy if, in the final moment of God's judgment, we should discover, like the great theologian Nicodemus, who could repeat from memory the entire Old Testament Bible of his day, yet who was startled to hear from the great physician that he was not ready to see God because he had a serious heart problem which required a heart transplant. For, in order to be ready, he must be born again. In this study, which is entitled Sparkling Gems of Truth, we will examine the great heart's specialist diagnosis of ourselves to see if we qualify as being truly born again or, like Nicodemus, realize that we are not yet ready to live in Christ's coming kingdom. For many years, I was a youth worker in the conference, union, and general conference with but one purpose, to help our young people, teenagers and juniors, to know how to come to Christ and to receive a new heart to prepare them to meet Jesus. This tape message will appeal to both young and older persons for everyone loves to hear an illustration telling of how all people are able to receive a heavenly transplant by complying with the prescribed conditions required by the great physician. As we now begin to examine these sparkling gems of truth, let us pray. Dear loving Father, we come before Thee requesting that Thou send to us Thy Holy Spirit, which is divinely equipped to give us a thorough spiritual examination, revealing whether or not we have been born again. We also want to know if divinity detects any sign of sinful deterioration that we need to correct. 
For we desire to have a spiritual experience that will meet with heaven's approval. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us first review the experience of Nicodemus as found in John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. As the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, or whether it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? and knoweth not these things? Now tell me why do you suppose that Jesus spoke with such positive words to Nicodemus, leaving no doubt as to his need for a change of heart? The answer is obvious, because God loves a beautiful Christian character. And God loves us so much that he wants us to have characters like unto the character of his son Jesus. Therefore, through his written word and the testimonies of his spirit, he has sent to us many sparkling gems of truth. These are God's divine means of enabling boys and girls, men and women, to form jewel-like characters fitted to live with him in that beautiful city, the New Jerusalem. And that is what this message is all about. I begin with a story of a man you might have seen on television news screen, for it is not easy to forget the pale, drawn, haggard face of a man called Albert. He had only a short time to live, that is, unless an organ donor 
could be found. If his life were to be spared, he must in the near future undergo a heart transplant. Physicians had said that they could do nothing to mend the old heart. Replacing a valve or repairing any other portion of his heart would not help him. He needed a whole new heart. Being in his early thirties and having a wife and children, he was understandably troubled and anxious. The community solicited funds for his anticipated surgery. His face appeared on the TV screen day after day as the amounts being collected were reported. Finally, a day arrived when, upon answering the telephone, he heard those welcome words, a donor heart has been found. Immediately his mind was filled with hope and rejoicing. After the proper preparations were made, Albert surrendered himself fully into the hands of his physician. The surgery was successful, and after some weeks had passed, his face appeared again on the television news. But what a transformation! What a change! No longer was Albert pale and haggard. His life had been restored. His face shone with a healthy radiance. His eyes were bright. His joy and thanksgiving were reflected upon the entire community where he lived. All the people rejoiced with him. But there was one thing that he could not forget. He meditated over the fact that someone had lost his life to make it possible that he might live. Now let us consider some spiritual lessons from Albert's experience. Before he received a new heart, Albert was a sick and dying man. Today many are as sick spiritually as Albert was physically. To use a Bible term, their hearts were natural or carnal and their characters so diseased that they do not have long to remain spiritually alive. Note God's description of such a heart, for he declares, Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, Genesis 6-5. And again I quote from Scripture, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Mark seven twenty one, twenty three. 
Spiritually speaking, men do not always realize the extent of the diseased condition of their hearts. That is, not until they look into the mirror of God's law of the Ten Commandments. It is then that they see themselves as they actually are, wretched and hopelessly near death. They long to be forgiven, but praise God, there is a divine remedy for spiritual illness, and that remedy is the gospel. In the book This Day with God on page 224, I quote, The truths of the gospel are not unconnected. Uniting, they form one string of heavenly jewels, and like threads of gold, they run through the whole of the Christian work and experience. End quote. So we are told God's precious, sparkling gospel gems unite to form one golden string of remedial heavenly gems. These truths can be plucked off the string and examined. So let's pick one and take a look. The first sparkling gem of truth we will pluck off to examine is called justification. In examining this jewel of truth, may I give you an illustration? Let's call his name Larry. George had a friend named Larry who seemed extremely discouraged and despondent. George told Larry of some of the wonderful, encouraging gems of truth to be found in the Bible. He urged him to study God's Word. Larry was convinced of his need to study. But when he opened the Bible, he knew not where to begin. So he started reading through Genesis and then into Exodus. But when he reached Exodus 20, he became startled, for upon comparing himself with God's law, he was faced with the shocking revelation of his truly diseased spiritual condition. Is this the reason for my mental despondency? He asked himself. Without realizing it, Larry had echoed the words of Paul as he cried out, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Romans 7.24 Larry felt desperate. Is there no remedy? He explained. But when he turned to the New Testament, Larry was filled with joyful excitement. Yes, there is a remedy for all sin-sex souls. He found it in Jesus Christ our spiritual physician. He listened as he heard the physician invite, Come unto me. Larry responded. He cast himself upon Christ's mercy. Jesus looked upon him with love and tender compassion. He began to explain the remedy to Larry. He spoke in somewhat the same words as he did to Nicodemus that night so long ago. Larry, 
You need a new heart, Jesus explained. There is nothing that can be done to repair or patch up your old heart. It will be necessary for you to undergo a spiritual heart transplant. At these words, Larry felt very uncomfortable. Like Nicodemus, he wondered, how can this be? But the physician was still speaking. I am willing, even anxious, to perform the needed operation for you, without which you will surely die. My services will be donated. Your new heart will be free. If you cooperate, you will be born again into a new life altogether. At this point, Larry went back to his friend George for counsel. George explained that as in a physical heart transplant, in order to receive a new spiritual heart transplant, it is necessary to undergo spiritual preparation. George took down the first volume of Selected Messages and turned to page 393. After carefully explaining to Larry that this was not just any book, that it was, in fact, an inspired book, he read the following to him. In order to obtain the righteousness of Christ, that's a new heart, it is necessary for the sinner to know what that repentance is, which works a radical change of mind, spirit, and action." Unquote. Larry's eyes were fastened upon George. George looked up and said, Next, the author asked two questions. Who is desirous of becoming truly repentant? And what must he do? Listen closely, Larry, George advised, for the author answers her own questions. Larry leaned forward so he wouldn't miss the answer. Quote, he must come to Jesus just as he is, without delay. He must believe that the word of Christ is true, and, believing the promise, ask that he may receive. When sincere desire prompts men to pray, they will not pray in vain. The Lord will fulfill his word and will give the Holy Spirit to lead to repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ." Unquote. Larry understood, but he wanted to make sure. So he replied, Have I got this straight? When I come to Jesus just as I am, believing that God's Word and its promises are true, and that the physician will send the Holy Spirit to prepare me? Right, answered George. Then he explained further.
The physician has given to every man a measure of faith to believe in order that he might respond to his calling. However, for a man's faith to increase, he must come to the great physician to receive not only repentance, but also a greater measure of faith, even of faith that will make salvation by grace possible. Larry hurried home. In his bedroom, with his Bible open before him, Larry fell upon his knees. His mind was drawn to Christ when on the cross. While kneeling at the foot of the cross, looking up at Jesus, these words burned into his soul, a donor has been found. He now understood how Jesus himself had passed through a horrible death on the cross in order that Larry, a repentant sinner, might live. With sadness, Larry realized that for him to live, someone had to die, and that someone was his divine surgeon, Jesus Christ, God's own dear Son. Turning to his open Bible, he read this precious promise, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36:26. Larry prayed for the promised helper, and his prayer was answered. The Spirit led him into a true sorrow for his sins, into repentance and faith, and a full surrender to the great physician who, as promised, performed the recreative surgery. Larry had obeyed as he heard the physician plead, My son, give me thine heart. Proverbs twenty three twenty six, But, oh, what an exchange! Larry had received a clean, unselfish, new, healthy heart in exchange for his sinful, selfish, spiritually diseased heart. Praise God! Larry's sins were forgiven. Through faith, Larry had received the sparkling gift of justification. Praise the Lord! Let us interrupt this illustration of Larry momentarily. God has sent us an important message to his church. It is a very sobering message. God warns us through Ellen White that as a people, we have at times neglected to teach these preparatory truths to souls who are seeking salvation. Surely we do not consider these truths as unnecessary or as an unpleasant duty, or do we? If we have fallen into this trap, let us heed the following rebuke 
found in Selected Messages, Book 2, page 19, and I quote, Some open revival meetings, and by this means call large numbers into the church. But when the excitement is over, where are the converted ones? Repentance and confession of sin are not seen. The sinner is entreated to believe in Christ and accept him without regard to his past life of sin and rebellion. The heart is not broken. There is no contrition of soul. The supposed, did you get that word? The supposed converted ones have not fallen upon the rock, Christ Jesus. How sad. What a tragedy. How often we have seen this happen in evangelistic meetings. I continue. The Old and the New Testament scriptures show us that the only way in which this work should be done, repent, 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 was the message rung out by John the Baptist in the wilderness. And Christ's message to the people was, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 5. And the apostles were commanded to preach everywhere that men should repent. And then listen to this. The Lord desires his servants today to preach the old gospel doctrine of sorrow for sin, repentance, and confession. He wants old-fashioned sermons, old-fashioned customs, old-fashioned fathers and mothers in Israel. The sinner must be labored for perseveringly, earnestly, wisely, until he shall see that he is a transgressor of God's law and shall exercise repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read in Sanctified Life, page 81, Believe, believe, only believe, is not enough. The devils believe and tremble. A lukewarm Laodicean may believe all the truth and God's promises, but he is not being saved thereby, for he is not converted. Jesus said in John 3 that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. An unconverted one believes only with the measure of faith that is given to all men. We are to teach new converts that it is by repentance and faith we are justified before God and through divine grace enabled to render obedience to His commandments." End quote. Now, back to our story of Larry. As Albert had received a new physical life through the gift of his donor heart, just so an amazing transformation had taken place in the life of Larry. 
He had received the heart, the mind, and the faith of his Savior. He was filled with hope, rejoicing and gratitude. Relieved of the burden of his sins, he was no longer miserable and spiritually wretched. New spiritual life had been put within him. His eyes sparkled with joy. His face shone with a healthy radiance. He reflected his joy and thank thankfulness upon all with contact. He pointed them to the great physician who alone is able to forgive sins and to heal spiritual diseases. Wonder of wonders! Oh, how could this be? The entire community where he lived became aware of the change in Larry. No longer was he morose or discouraged. His heart thrilled as he related to others that his heart donor and surgeon, Jesus Christ, had died in order that he, a sinner, might live. Everyone within the sphere of his influence heard the old gospel story. His words echoed Ellen White's sentiments when she exclaimed, O oh, precious, loving, long-suffering, long-forbearing Jesus, how my soul adores thee! Wonder, O oh heavens, and be astonished, O oh earth, that fallen man is the object of his infinite love and delight. The Upward Look, page 377. Larry was often heard inviting his friends and acquaintances to experience the fulfillment of that precious promise offered to all men by the heavenly physician. I quote, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Larry did not fail to also tell his friends that they must go to Jesus just as they are to receive the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Day by day, Larry diligently studied God's precious word. As he increased in wisdom and knowledge, he continued to grow up spiritually in Christ. Many of the precious gems of truth that thrilled Larry's soul will be found as we continue, for these gems are gathered from inspired writings. In the Bible, a new heart transplant is likened to being born again. We often refer to it as conversion or the new birth. Lest we fail to realize the true wonders of this reception of a new heart, we will add some additional sparkles that emanate from this gospel truth. From the inspired writings, we are told that many of us, especially the youth, fail to understand the true significance of what it means to have a new heart. Ellen White clearly defines this meaning. Listen. 
The youth especially stumble over this phrase, a new heart. They do not know what it means. When Jesus speaks of the new heart, he means the mind, the life, the whole being. And so we will not possibly misunderstand. She explains further, to have a new heart is to have a new mind, new purposes, new motives. Sons and Daughters of God, page 100. Paul understood this, for he explains, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Actually, the new birth is a new creation. But how can this be? How does this new life come about? Inspiration tells us the heart, the mind, are created anew. The Desire of Ages, page 175. And I quote further, When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought, which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural working, bringing a supernatural element into the human nature. Manuscript Release, Volume 17, page 314. God loves us so much that he explains the entire plan of salvation very clearly. But I hear someone ask, what, about, what does it mean by a stony heart? Any truly converted person will tell you from experience that unless we yield ourselves to the gospel of Christ, we are dominated by the wicked one. And Paul states it this way, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 8.6 Webster defines carnal as of the body or flesh, which is opposed to the spiritual. So, it is very clear, the stony heart is a carnal mind controlled by the wicked one. Therefore, in a carnal mind, the body always controls the mind while in the spiritual mind it is the mind which controls the body. Question. How then is a stony heart taken away? The answer is simple. When the heart and the mind are created anew. Desire of Ages 175 Now, another important question. Is it possible to lose a new heart experience? Having once received a new heart or mind, can it be lost? Oh, yes, it can. Surely it can. For it must be maintained in the same way we receive it, through surrender. If we would continue the peace and assurance, there must be constant surrender. Let's take a look 
at King David. He was converted in his youth. However, he did not always maintain his surrender. He fell into sin, into grievous sins. So the question, if one has lost his born-again experience, how can he regain it? The answer, in the same way that David did. For after David's great sin, he once again surrendered to the great physician, pleading, Give me a new heart, O my God. Psalms 51 Through the spirit of prophecy, inspiration has revealed, and I quote, one of the most earnest prayers recorded in the word of God is that of David when he pled, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Psalms 51.10 God's response to such a prayer is, A new life will I give you. This is a work that no finite man can do. Men and women are to begin at the beginning, seeking God most earnestly for a true Christian experience. They are to feel the creative power of the Holy Spirit. They are to receive the new heart that is kept soft and tender by the grace of heaven. The selfish spirit is to be cleansed from the soul. That's taken from Bible Commentary, Volume 4, page 1165. When David sinned, he displayed a carnal, selfish, stony heart. This mindset was removed, cleansed from his mind by the creative power of the Holy Spirit. As did David at the beginning of a Christian experience, or for his need of a renewed Christian experience, we must fully repent and surrender to Christ. Then, with Christ dwelling in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we again can receive the new mind, even the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Oh, beloved, let us praise God that we can experience such a sparkling gem of gospel truth. Amen? Here I must warn you, that Satan has also perfected jewels, but they are counterfeit jewels. Do they glitter? Why, of course they do. Yes, very much so, but not with a heavenly light. Let us take a brief moment to reflect upon the seriousness of these counterfeits that are confronting the people of God in these latter days. As you know, we are living in the end time, Conditions and events in the world and in the church clearly reveal that at such a time as this, many in the churches are spiritually sick. This allows them to be easily deceived by Satan's glittering, worldly counterfeit jewels. Their minds need the healing touch of the great physician. We have been warned that in these latter days, erroneous, infidel theories 
will be taught as Bible truths to God's people. Such errors insidiously attack the spiritual heart, causing a variety of spiritual illness and producing grave spiritual consequences. Webster defines an infidel as a person not holding to the faith, but opposing or unfaithful to Christianity. Surely, we should avoid reading or listening to words that spring from the heart of an infidel. And the best way to avoid cancer and other serious physical diseases is to live a lifestyle that will prevent them from occurring. Likewise, deadly spiritual illness can be prevented only if we preoccupy and fortify the mind with truth. This must be done, however, before we meet the soul-destroying so-called jewels of Satan's string of falsehoods. Through our modern prophet, Ellen White, God has revealed that, and I quote, none but those who have fortified the mind with truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Great Controversy, 593-594. As we continue our study, we will pluck off from the string of heavenly jewels another precious gem called sanctification. As we gaze upon the beauty of this gem, we realize that today many are asking, is sanctification a part of salvation? Is it? Let us ask Paul. Imagine that we could visit Paul in his damp and dingy dungeon in what is believed to be the Mamertine prison in Rome. We might ask, Paul, please tell us, is sanctification a part of our salvation? As if taken by surprise by our question, Paul straightens himself up. Unhesitantly, he replies, Sanctification is a very vital part of salvation, for God hath chosen us to salvation through sanctification. Have you not read what I wrote in my second letter to the Thessalonians? We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 I will say to you today, as I said in my farewell counsel to the elders of Ephesus, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Acts 30, 32. For a moment, we are lost in thought. Might we not apply this verse to ourselves? If the members of the remnant church would inherit a place among the saved in that blessed land, could not Paul likewise admonish us 
that we must be found, and I quote, among all them which are sanctified? Paul is still speaking. If we were to ask Peter, what part does sanctification have in our salvation? Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 2. And speaking among ourselves, we wonder, does Ellen White agree with Peter and Paul? Is sanctification a necessity? In an article, Ellen White first asks, What does the Lord require of his blood-bought heritage? She then answers, The sanctification of the whole being. My brethren and sisters, God requires this of us. Review and Herald, November 24, 1904. Beloved, never should we consider sanctification as unnecessary to salvation or as a second-rate experience. Sanctification is not an option or an appendage. It is a sparkling gem of truth that God has provided for our redemption, a vital part of the saving gospel. Let us now observe this gem of sanctification from another angle. All will agree that it is the Lord who justifies man. But how? Do men attain to sanctification by their own good works? What saith inspiration? Through Moses God declares, I am the Lord which sanctify you. Leviticus 28. And in the New Testament, Paul writes, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Jude 1, verse 1, is addressed to them that are sanctified by God the Father. Ellen White tells us, We want the sanctification that God himself gives. Review and Herald, July 15, 1890. So the question, how does God sanctify man? Bible illustrations testify that only the presence of God can sanctify or make holy a person or a thing. For example, in the story of Moses, it was the presence of God in the burning bush that made both it and the ground surrounding it holy. God commissioned Belzalel to shape the intricate gold work for the wilderness sanctuary. He gave him special wisdom and skill for the work. While Bezalel was melting the gold and pounding and shaping the golden cherubims for the most holy place, they were not yet holy or sanctified. Yet, when they were later dedicated in the service of God, and the presence of God visibly entered into the sanctuary to dwell therein, then the cherubim for the mercy seat was no longer just gold statuary. They were sacred, sanctified emblems representing the work of the angel 
in the heavenly sanctuary. So, just as God entered into the sanctuary to sanctify it by His presence, so it is the presence of God inside the hearts of men that sanctify them. I quote, I will dwell in them, and I will be their God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 Isn't that beautiful? God's presence in our very own heart? That's true sanctification. Paul teaches that believers are to be sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Romans 15.16 This is Bible sanctification. This work can be accomplished only through faith in Christ, by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. Great Controversy 469. Thus it is, Christ in you that sanctifies. The indwelling Holy Spirit is, and I quote, as the personal presence of Christ to the soul. Review and Herald, November 29, 1892. Notice the following passages from the Spirit of Prophecy. Sanctification of the soul by the operation of the Holy Spirit is the implanting of Christ's nature in humanity. This day with God, 224. Sanctification is not an emotion, but a heavenly-born principle that brings all the passions and desires under the control of the Spirit of God. Signs of the Times, May 19, 1890. The Lord Jesus loves His people, and when they put their trust in Him, depending wholly upon Him, He strengthens them. He will live through them giving them the inspiration of his sanctifying spirit, imparting to the soul a vital transfusion of himself. That I may know him, page 78. To be sanctified is to become a partaker of the divine nature, catching the spirit and the mind of Jesus Review and Herald, April 28, 1891. Let us pray. Thank Thee, loving Father, for revealing these important truths to us in such a clear and simple manner that we may, by Thy divine grace, commit our lives to Thy creative power, ready to spend eternity with Thee, in Jesus' name, we thank Thee. Amen. Before we listen to Sonny Lou sing, permit me to give you the, this added suggestion. I know you have been greatly blessed as I have in this study, for the great physician desires to give us a heart transplant to replace our stony hearts and to keep it healthy through a daily heavenly process of sanctification, Christ in you. 
I must tell you that what you have been listening to has been taken almost word for word from a new book by Leola Rosenwald. Time will not permit further discussion of such gems as conditions for justification or of how to render obedience and receive imputed and imparted righteousness, and much, much more. May I urge you to purchase a personal copy of this book, Sparkling Gems of Truth, and receive the blessing that I have discovered in reading all of the book. You may secure a copy by following the instructions on the enclosed card. Please do not send the card to keep the faith, as we cannot fill your order. The card must be sent to the address printed on the card. I assure you that you will not be disappointed, but richly blessed in the way these gospel sparkling gems make the truth for this hour simple and clear.